It's time for Series 3 of Shooting the Breeze. As we continue our focus on women's basketball, we'll be talking to more of the amazing players in the WNBL, the coaches that inspire them, those people behind the scenes that do so much for the sport, as well as so many more from across the Australian women's basketball landscape and beyond. It's the 42nd WNBL season, the longest-running women's professional league in the country, and this year, 2022, Sydney will stage the FIBA Women's World Cup, featuring the 12 best women's teams on the planet, playing right here on our turf. There's so much to come in this season. Subscribe, like, and review our podcast so we can get more Hoops content to you. We want to welcome on board the Island Pacific Soap Company as our first commercial partner. They make high-quality, all-natural, handcrafted bath soap. Check them out online, and a big shout-out to Paul for all the support. I really feel that our young kids now, they have different glasses. They see the world differently. Mm. And I want to make sure that there is a youthness about this event that people will see young people looking after the teams. And that doesn't mean to say we won't have some older, experienced people as volunteers because that makes it even better because you then have that experience. But also the balance for younger people to work with older people, which they probably maybe haven't done before. But we are looking really to have at least 60% from the basketball community. We want 60% of females and we want a high level of diversity. She's a national basketball treasure and a Basketball Australia Hall of Fame inductee. It's great having Lorraine Landon back on the podcast as she takes us behind the scenes of the FIBA Women's World Cup Volunteer Program. Lorraine shares insights into the biggest hoops event on the planet and its volunteers, the absolute beating heart of this event. Get pumped for a huge spectacle of women's hoops and the spirit that brings together our diverse Aussie hoops community to put on one of the greatest sporting events on earth, the 2022 FIBA Women's World Cup, and it's in our house. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining myself and my co-host Jacinta Gavind, we've got Lorraine Landon from FIBA Women's World Cup. Lorraine, welcome to the show. It's great to have you back. Thank you very much, Paul, and uh, nice to meet you, Jacinta. Likewise. It's an absolute honour and a pleasure, Lorraine. Thank you. So, Lorraine, we're getting close to that six-month countdown to the World Cup, and you've commenced a, a recruiting drive for volunteers to assist in a whole bunch of areas of the event. Please tell us about your role and, and how you're involved with the volunteers and how this is happening, and also what else you're doing in relation to the World Cup. Love to, uh, Paul, and uh, you probably shouldn't have reminded me it's only six months to go. I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I certainly am making sure that I'm not uh, not losing a day as we, uh, as we approach. But, look, it, this is going to be fabulous for, for all of us, particularly us in Sydney. We had the pleasure to have uh, Oz94 back in uh, 1994, which is a long time ago, and then uh, the Olympics and the Paralympics. So, to have the 2022 World Cup here is will be amazing and it will be amazing for a bunch of different reasons. We're in a different uh, space than we were 20 years ago with the Olympics. You know, we have a different way that we talk to each other and our social media landscape, etc. 
And and I think uh, it's going to be exciting from the point of view that we're going to find a new group of people that love the sport. Our sport is very well participated in right across Australia and the world, of course. It's the second most popular game in the world um, played by people, boys and girls, men and women. And I just think that uh, this event will allow us to provide something to these young people coming along that they haven't seen before. They've seen basketball. They see the NBA. They see the WNBA. They see the WNBL and the NBL. But international basketball is just so different. So that's why it's exciting. In relation to the volunteers, they're obviously going to be people who are involved in around basketball who are going to get an opportunity to get a much closer look at the game and particularly at an event like this. What could volunteers expect to, to see and, and experience in terms of the things that they can do? Well, it's a really good question, Paul, because we will have, uh, we've scoped that we need 350 volunteers, and that might sound a lot of people, but it's an event that's being played in two venues. So we have uh, two venues footprinted in the Sydney Olympic Park, so Sydney Superdome and the Sports Centre. We're playing 38 games over 10 days uh, with a rest day in between. And so you also then have uh, the training venues and you have the hotel where you need to provide support to the teams. And this whole event has been a strategic uh, pillar is about athlete-focused delivery. So that's what makes the volunteer program so important. For those 350, we actually have 30 different volunteer positions over five functional areas. So the obvious ones are the the field of play where obviously Paul and Jacinda, everybody wants to work, Um, the the athlete services, but that's a fun one because you're actually uh, meeting and greeting uh, the different teams and different nationalities. Venue operations, uh, which is always interesting. There's always something that's going to challenge everybody there. We then have the media and uh, hotels and uh, and special events and as i said uh, under the venue operations is also the um the training so you know we're looking for the next phase of um people that love the sport but also to give them something to inspire for in their own sort of journey in our sport because you know we all know everybody's not going to play for the opals or the boomers they'll find their level and they may coach they may referee they may be an administrator or they may be almost a professional, um, you know, volunteer. So we've had so few events over the last few years that this is exciting in that alone, that people all of a sudden want to help, want to see it, want to be a part of it. So I think we're going to really have, my worst uh, nightmare is having too many people and happening then to choose. (laughs) I've got lots of friends at the moment, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) And um, maybe for the sake of the listeners as well, Lorraine, like some of the roles that you just outlined sound really exciting. And I think uh, as you touched on, could be a really good experience for people looking to get into a particular industry and to put it on their resume. Um, But having said that, do people need any prior experience to signing up for the volunteer program? Well, the the most important piece of, um, you know, I suppose DNA that we're looking for is passion for the game. 
and understanding that they do have to work. There will be an opportunity for them to see some games and we will have incentive programs across our volunteer program uh, per se. But we've got a couple of really nice things that I think we're going to do, which will be very good for the legacy. One of them is that, for example, we need drivers for the referees. So we're recruiting the drivers through Basketball New South Wales and their referee program. So we're putting like-type people with like-type people. So the benefit is that they can have a dialogue with uh, one of the 24 referees from around the world. They can learn a little bit. And uh, FIBA have been very good in uh, allowing us to provide some programs where some of those referees will actually be able to sit in on some, um, you know, inside information that they wouldn't get if they weren't involved in this program. The other one that's very dear to my heart is that um, the floor wipers, and uh, that's the field of play, very popular. And uh, but it but they need to be able to do their job. You know, you don't want someone that's just going to be sitting there watching the game, and uh, meanwhile someone's sliding all over the place. But we've invited the under sixteen boys and girls teams from Metro and Country from last year for two years in a row. That team didn't get to go to the Australian Championships because of COVID, mm. and I see those kids of missing out on something. But they've been very resilient. And uh, we've invited them to be floor wipers for the, the 10 days. And I've really had a good response to that. So that, that's really good. And we'll share that with the boys and the girls. And uh, some of them will, you know, get to be in the back of house where they're looking after the change rooms and so forth. So there's many different sorts of opportunities for people to have a bit of fun. The other one is media. And we're looking for some interns that, you know, maybe are doing journalism at uh, university or maybe doing sports administration to be able to sort of feel it and, you know, understand what it's like to work with a international federation, the broadcasters. You know, we'll have a number of uh, international broadcasters, international media. So there's lots of opportunities that, you know, people probably haven't even thought about when you're running a, a world event like this. That all sounds fantastic. Like, you're kind of selling it to me as well and I'm thinking, do I have time when I'm in Sydney to do some kind of volunteering here? Because it all sounds really practical in a sense that people participating in the tournament, running the tournament and the people who are volunteering are both going to get so much out of it, like a nice symbiotic relationship. I'm hoping that's yes. the right term. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. And, and it's going to be something that uh, volunteers are going to remember forever. I mean, the floor wiping gig was the best gig I could get when I was a 16-year-old and to do it at a World Cup, yes. uh, yeah, that's definitely the gig to get. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got a lovely story there for um, I did this in uh, for Sydney 2000 and uh, I approached the AIS at the time and said, can we have the 20 men's and women's AIS athletes come to Sydney and be the floor wipers. And, of course, these kids were sort of 16, 17, and everybody said, oh, what a fabulous idea, but, oh, it's all too hard. You know, where will they live? You know, how will they get around? Who will manage them? You know, we had every single one of those 20, and one of them in particular was Jenny Screen. And Jenny Screen went on to play for Australia uh, in 2006, won a, a gold medal, and she says now that it was one of the most amazing pieces of her whole journey in basketball where she was so close she could almost touch it 
and actually said to me just recently, I think I had to pick up the uh, piece of hair that came out of uh, Lisa Leslie's um, hairpiece when um, <laughs> when Lauren uh, Jackson maybe put her hands where she shouldn't have put them. So, so there's a look. The kids this year, you know, in September, you know, who are 16. Uh, or 17 will have those experiences. There will be something that they'll remember from the whole event, whether it's one of the Australian players, one of the Chinese, one of the Canadians. So it, it's one of those things that you you have to be a part of it to actually feel it. And that's what I want to happen, you know, that people want to be a part of it for all the positive reasons that our sport provides them. Do you think having the event at Sydney Olympic Park where effectively you've got the two venues across the road from each other is going to make it easier in terms of managing the demand on the the volunteers, particularly the ones that are that are associated with specific teams, to be able to just do all the things that they have to do without having to travel miles and navigate Sydney traffic. Absolutely, Paul, and it's uh, it's one of the benefits that um, Sydney, as you know, Sydney Olympics and Paralympics has given our city. It's a fabulous place, you know. It's sometimes people say, "Oh, you know, I don't like going out to Sydney Olympic Park, and you know, the transports this or whatever." But once they're there, they enjoy the venues. The venues are first class. Uh, the Superdome and the Sports Centre are both first class venues, and I'm particularly excited because. The sports centre, which is, you know, 40 years old now, yeah. um, it's got a brand new floor, absolutely gorgeous, wow. uh, fully sprung basketball floor. So that's a huge opportunity for basketball to play in a, a venue that's 4,000 seats. And I'm really, really hoping that the Sydney Flames will be able to use that as their home base for the forthcoming season. Wow, that would be great because it is a fantastic venue. Quite a few years ago, actually, it was sort of like early 90s. I remember seeing the Kings play a US team out at the Sports Centre. Yes. And the reason I remember it is I was doing some consulting work for uh, Kimberly Clark at the time. And I took a couple of the American staff to the game with me and they absolutely loved it. They had no idea because they'd never really gone out to Homebush. They had no idea that we had a facility or a venue with so many facilities in it. So that would be a great place for the Flames to play. And the other thing that uh, the park also provides is two really high-level hotels. There's some nice, lovely, nice uh, eating places now for people to have fun in, a couple of hotels that uh, people like to go meet friends and so forth. And the park itself has got some interesting walks and bushland and some, you know, environmental things that I hope that we can um, entice our overseas uh, teams to want to have a look at. The other thing that I think is a bit unique to us, and it's been led by um, our CEO, Melissa King, is that uh, we want this event to be sustainable. And uh, we have some funding from the federal government to help us to deliver a sustainable event. And along the lines of things that maybe we can do that then can be carried on by FIBA for the future. So FIBA are also committed to sustainability. And again, that's where I think it's wonderful that we will have young kids as our volunteers who I think are are very conscious of our future and, you know, being sustainable, being, you know, thoughtful when it comes to what we do with waste, what we do with rubbish and all those sorts of things, but also the gender equity as well and diversity and so forth. So I think that's something that is probably very new for FIBA to be 
managing with a host for an event, a world event like we're doing. It all sounds very um, immersive. And I mean, you've already spoken so well and so succinctly about the various layers it takes to organizing an event, but how much thought, like meaningful thought yourself and the organization has put into creating the event all the way, including environmental sustainability as well. So even though it is a bit of a different train journey, you know, from the CBD, it sounds like you're creating a basketball utopia where once you're there it's like you're on your own (laughs) island you're with your own people it's going to create such a great atmosphere and you've got the flexibility of that venue of being homebush as a collective of venues to perhaps put on uh, a couple of other little little side things I guess because I know there's a field right near um, the bigger of the two venues yes um, that might have some stalls and food vendors and things like that am I on the right track Well, we certainly will have a fan zone and I'm very well supported by the New South Wales government. So everybody will have an integrated ticket. So Jacinta, you buy your ticket, that will give you free travel on the uh, train and they will be running more services directly from Sydney, from the actual CBD. So that's a wonderful thing as well. We also have the opportunity to have the under-14 national championships in Sydney at the same time. Now, this is a huge one for me personally because Basketball Australia sometimes, they have a lot of events and the event was uh, chosen to be played in Melbourne for the next two years. And the LOC was able to get into collaboration uh, with Basketball Australia and uh, it was agreed that they would move it to Sydney. So we have 48 under-14 boys and girls teams with their mums and dads, their nanas and grandpas and aunties and uncles and siblings all coming into Sydney. So for those 48 teams and their families, they probably wouldn't have gone to an event like this if they were living in another state. So Mm. that's, again, another opportunity that we're providing to everybody around the country. And we're hoping now with COVID being a little less positioned in our lives that we will get some overseas um, people, travellers, because one of the things that, and you see this at Olympics and so forth, it's wonderful to see the countries have their own supporters and, you know, bring their colours, their uniforms and so forth and have this, you know, banners and so forth and I think that will be also bring colour to the event itself. We will have a schools program and uh, the schools program will have a doctor a country so we are hoping that we have kids from all around the country reaching out to be a part of it and I've got some really uh, fun type things to put in the dressing room so that the actual team so if it's China in one dressing room and they're playing Australia Um, in that particular game, the Chinese will know that their dressing room will have all these posters with kids who are adopting their their country as a team and likewise for Australia. And each of the teams uh, will have all the names on their lockers so they will feel that, you know, that change room will be a part of, you know, their their change room. They know someone's going to come in in two hours' time and for the next game but we are really trying to create some really athlete-focused things that enable the players, the athletes to perform at their very best. And just a quick side note, for any of our listeners who are going to be attending the FIBA Women's World Cup, as Lorraine said, lots of people from all around the world attending, wearing their nation's colours. If you can and remember, try and bring 
some kind of Australian memorabilia with you, if it's a pin, if it's a small toy, if it's a cap, and go and start a conversation with someone visiting from yes. someone else yeah. and trade and trade trade pins, trade caps, like yes. uh, go and get your United Nations of merchandise and have a conversation <laughs> about how much you love basketball with someone from the other side of the world. It's, it's a great uh, thing you should say, Jacinta, because having had the absolute privilege to travel a bit and to be at Olympics and Paralympics, it is a sport is a, a leveller of people. doesn't matter who you are, what country you're from, what colour you are, male or female, and and I love that idea and uh, certainly we will pr- help promote that as well. So it's a good one. Great. And the other thing that we need, fan art. We definitely yes. need fan art. Just like, you know, they've done it down in Canberra where they've really promoted the fan art. We need it, and not just for Australia, but for all the countries to really let the crowd get into, you know, supporting and, and getting involved. Even if there's no other way for them to get involved, fan art's a great way to do it. Yes, a great idea, Paul. One of the other things I wanted to touch base on is there's going to be a, a lot of differences between this event and Oz94. Obviously, you know, technology's moved on. There's, you know, whole new ways of engaging with people. How much did you use Oz94 experience as a baseline for this event and then sort of build on it to create the event that you're now working on? Uh, Look, that's a good question. I think probably I probably looked at what we did in 94 and looked at what the outcomes were and what the legacies were and then tried to build on those. Certainly did that for Sydney in 2000. And then I had the opportunity to work in Melbourne for the Commonwealth Games in 2006. So, again, I've seen what's sort of happened over the years and I think the biggest thing for me is that we've been deprived of international mm. basketball for such a long time that I just took the grabs from both of those events and also what I've seen happening in the world. And sometimes that's just been on my own media platforms where mm. I watch, you know, I, I really do like to know what's happening in the world in our sports. So I just really tried to look at how do we deliver this in the best possible way we can, utilising the learning that we've had, but also how can we be innovative? Because I really feel that our young kids now, they have different glasses. They see the world differently. Mm. And I want to make sure that there is a youthness about this event, that people will see young people looking after the teams. And that doesn't mean to say we won't have some older, experienced people as volunteers, because that makes it even better because you then have that experience. But also the balance for younger people to work with older people, which they probably maybe haven't done before. But we are looking really to have at least 60% from the basketball community. We want 60% of females and we want a high level of diversity, uh, whether that's nationality um, or disability or whatever that may be. And I'm reaching out to the Sudanese community uh, to get some of their girls involved because uh, we know what's happening in our national league. There's a lot of Sudanese uh, young males playing and Mm. uh, they're doing very well. But for the girls, it's been very difficult for them to actually get a footprint into playing sport and sometimes it's not easy with their culture. Um, They're often sort of, you know, by the parents seen to be looking after children or earning money for the family. So 
I'm hoping that we can make a difference in that space as well. And you touched on some other events, uh, like you were talking about disabled athletes. Uh, at one point, I remember there was some discussion about possibly having some other events around the World Cup, like you know, three by three basketball, um, you know, wheelchair basketball. Yes. Are those events going to be included in the greater fan zone, so to speak? Well, at this point in time, we haven't made a final decision there, Paul. I was a little bit disappointed that my dream of having athletes with a a disability being a part of this event in the real sense, not as an add-on, not as, say, something that was in the park at the same time. I wanted them to be actually playing in the venue as part of the event. And I think I was a bit too ambitious for FIBA. I probably was like wanting to do too much. And so I, I didn't get that approved. I haven't given up. What it might look like yet, I'm not quite sure. But if we do something, I want it to be real and not um, token. You know, mm. I, I'm authentic in the sense of my support for athletes with a, either a disability or an intellectual impairment. And if we do something, it's going to be for all the right reasons and showcase them in the proper way. Yeah, I, I mean, unless you've actually watched, say, wheelchair basketball, for example, you don't have an appreciation of exactly how much effort goes into it. And, you know, we've spoken about wheelchair basketball on the podcast. And I, I've got to be honest, I learned a lot about it and really came to appreciate the skills that they bring to the game even more than I did before. Um, yes. And it would be great for them to have an opportunity to be able to show the skills that they have to the world in an event like this. That's right. Well, we will certainly have some of the Australian gliders present at the game. Liesl Tesh, mm. um, who is a, a very prominent uh, wheelchair basketballer, but also a sailor, won a gold medal in London in sailing. Also Sarah Stewart, Kylie Gauchi. You know, there's a number of girls out of Sydney that we certainly will have as part of the event. And we'll also have, um, and I haven't spoken about this, but uh, we're hoping to have a high number of our former Opals in Sydney as part of, again, the legacy. And the legacy in the sense of our current players knowing who some of these players are. And, and you know, they all know Michelle Timms and Lauren Jackson, Rachel Spawn. But there's a number of players from the 60s and 70s that they wouldn't know. And mm. to have them share this event will be wonderful and we hope that there will be a special event honouring the 2006 uh, World Cup gold medal uh, that was won in Brazil and uh, that we hope that that is an event that we can um, have uh, open to the public on our rest day on the 28th of uh, September. Wow, that would be and great. That sounds amazing and I love the, the integration and the appreciation for the Opal's legacy and the representation of past opals who have paved the way for current because something I've observed in the last few years coaching juniors is that uh, unfortunate dissociation between junior-level basketball and the WNBL and our opals and uh, the young kids just, they they don't watch enough or they they haven't uh, any investment in it and and appreciation for how good we are um, and how important trailblazers like, you know, the original Opals and even yourself, Lorraine, are to them today to even be able to be playing the type and level of basketball that they're able to play now. But legacy always 
uh, is a strong point for me. I'm always really interested in especially Opal's legacy. And earlier you did mention that when you were starting the planning and organisation for this current tournament coming up in September, October, you were referencing some of those older legacies. Are you able to tell us a little bit more about the legacies you were referencing? Yes, well, well um, there's a legacy program that's operating out of New South Wales uh, through BNSW and they were very fortunate to be supported by the state government uh, who are also heavily investing in the World Cup as well. And as part of that, they had funding to introduce basketball to new kids. So they're looking at uh, kids who haven't played basketball before. Maybe their families haven't played, but not only just as a player, but again, the coaching, refereeing, etc. And there's a number of programs there that are, have been really, really successful and touching kids in, you know, um, regional areas or so touching kids in you know, Indigenous uh, remote areas that wouldn't normally get an opportunity to play. So that side of the, the legacy. The side that I've been sort of working with with a couple of former players is a documentary that um, is being put together. So back in 2006 when we won the World Championship, we actually got some funding and support from Basketball Australia at the time and uh, we were able to put together a, a little video uh, clip of history of the Opals from 1957 through to basically 2006. And so this documentary is taking the next strain from 2006 through to currently. And I think that's going to be a great opportunity for people to see some of the the stars, but some of the names and, and and how different it was when they were were traveling. I mean, people don't believe me when I, I talk about the very first uh, world championship in 57, the players uh, had to go by ship and uh, not all the way, but partly by ship. And when you think about that in today's world, like they were months away and mm. nobody paid them. They had to cover their own costs they ran the raffles the the chook raffles the parties all those sorts of things and paid themselves so today's athletes have a very different uh, platform that they are able to perform on but it, if you don't know the history you don't know the future and so I think the opportunities to have those uh, former players and some as I said that people may not know and I'm hoping that we can have some marketing opportunities where some schools or some clubs or some kids may get a chance to sort of, you know, experience that money can't buy opportunity. But not only just for Australia, I think it's really, really important for women's basketball around the world to actually create some new names. And back in 94, we had Hortensia, uh, mm. we had Paula, we had a couple of the Chinese girls and um, we had Dawn Staley, Therese Woodward, and those names, even in the American scene, have not been as well known as what they should be. So if this event, with the support of FIBA, and they're very much supporting what we're trying to do, is about setting some pillars in place that there will be new names that you both will start to talk about during the event and after the event. Yeah, I'm kind of really interested in the fact that basketball as a sport, unfortunately, hasn't had the opportunity or to be able to 
build that history and bring it back to new players coming into the sport. I mean, you mentioned Hortensia, for example. Now, I remember the name from watching basketball at, at the Olympics from, from years gone by. I'm sure there's hardly anybody nowadays who would recognise her name yeah. or the fact that she played and she had such a long career. I think does it did she retire in like in her late thirties or early forties? Yes, she was she was late thirties and there was um Paula as well. And Brazil haven't qualified, which is really very sad to me personally because there's a lot of Brazilian supporters in Australia and I think they would be really um, happy to sort of see their team here. But it's probably a new generation uh, for Brazil to actually look at their future and got a couple of new countries like Belgium is, is new on the world stage. They came in as a junior team back in 2007 and they've really been able to sort of put their footprint in Europe and then come on to the world stage. The other one is Japan. Japan have an exciting group of girls. You know, they can shoot the ball. They're fun to watch. They've got a personality. So, you know, I'm hoping that a couple of those girls' names will be known to people at the end of the event, as well as, of course, the Australians. I mean, Izzy uh, Magdebor is, you know, I think one of our future stars. But there's a couple of others, Rebecca Cole as well and Rebecca Allen, also Stephanie Talbot. But a lot of people don't know those names. Mm. You guys do because you, you love basketball and you watch it. But we need to make those known in the household names so people know who they are, but also tell their story. I've always been interested in, you know, what's authentic, what's real. And, and what's everybody's backstory? How did they get involved? You know, what do they see in the world? How do they, how do they see it? And, and it doesn't matter if they're a little different and a bit controversial. I think that makes life more interesting. It's all part of the story. Uh, take it or leave it, isn't it? <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. And do you have any um, really memorable stories like volunteer type stories? or um, even memorable stories throughout your career as a basketball administrator um, that you found has either impacted yourself or impacted the experience of the time it happened? Yeah. Look, I think the dedication of the volunteers that I very carefully handpicked for 2000 because we only actually had 200 and over a 16-day event and when I think about it now, and we have scope 350 for this event, it was important to get them, they were hand chosen. I mean, everybody that was there had a background, you know, so we had former Olympians out of South Australia, former Olympians out of Sydney here. We had the referees driving the referee buses, as I said. We had the AIS kids doing the floor wiping. So there were lots of things that created that sort of, to me, that family of we are passionate about our sport, we love it, and we can now do something internationally and be valued for doing it. So I suppose it's that overarching situation and memory, Jacinta, that they were just so good. You know, I call them the A-team. And whenever I travelled, you know, overseas just after the Olympics, I mean, all of my international colleagues just said, your volunteers were amazing. The actual presentation and what we did and how we ran the games was incredible. So I think it's that I like to be really good at what we do. I'm uh, near enough isn't good enough for me. So 
I'm not very good on the 80-20 stuff when sometimes people tell me that um, it's okay, Lorraine, it's 80-20. I really like to get it 100%. And I do aim a bit high, so um, I can be um, <laughs> a little bit uh, demanding. But I just think that today's world, and particularly our younger kids, are looking for leadership. And, and if I can get the right people, the super, right supervisors, like we did in Sydney, like we did in, in Melbourne in 2006, we will just have a, a, a great event with lots and lots of good legacies and things that people will remember forever and talk about them forever. Yeah, and um, leadership, I totally agree with you there, especially some leadership, some guidance for young people in a lot of different aspects of life. And if basketball can be the vehicle for that, I'm all for it. And if there's something that I can try and uh, provide to encourage some of our listeners to be a volunteer for the tournament is that um, you'll find people who speak your language, who love basketball as much as you, and you wouldn't have never have met them if it weren't for this particular circumstance, it's going to be almost like the most serendipitous um, <laughs> kind of congregation of like-minded young people. And you have a sense of like camaraderie and leadership within your group. But I think as well for young people, just having that really strong sense of identity or where they fit in, or um, is it okay to like something? Uh, am I going to be judged for getting emotional about a basketball game? Am I going to get ridiculed for being a big fan of something you know what I mean there's a lot of those question marks when you're a teenager and a young person around your identity and if I can convince anyone doing (laughs) something like this would definitely help you feel fulfilled in that way yeah no well uh, that's fantastic to center and I know that anybody who puts their hands up to be a part of it will have their best time they will learn out of it, they will be educated, they will feel valued and more importantly, if they are in our sport, then hopefully it aspires them to bigger and better things but not just, you know, I always try and say to people it's not just about playing because Mm. not everybody's going to make that final 12. So there are other ways that you can make a contribution and just being able to be exposed to it is sometimes where people's level of inspiration is or aspiration is. So I look forward to it. Yeah, and I think having that is also going to be a great way to expand basketball outside the basketball circle because you'll have people going back to what they're doing prior to the World Cup event, having had the experience, and they're going to be able to talk passionately about what the World Cup was and what it meant and what they were able to achieve and what they saw and learnt. And hopefully that'll also encourage people from who haven't really necessarily seen basketball as either a pathway or a sport to participate in as something that they should look at. Absolutely agree, Paul. And I'm hoping that this event in 22, you have the opportunities for more events to come to Australia leading into the 32 Olympics. I think we will see more events, certainly hope so whether they're here in Sydney or Melbourne or in other cities. But, you know, the state government has uh, done very well in um, actually sort of committing to 10 World Cups in 10 years. And uh, we're one of those and we're very proud to be one of those. And I know this is going to be an amazing time. I just hope that, you know, we manage with COVID. I think I'm quite optimistic there, but the last two years has been quite challenging for everybody. It doesn't matter what sport you're in, what industry you're in families, young or old, it's been challenging. So 
I hope that we can put a smile on the face of the people involved and make them happy and bottle some of that wonderful energy that was around in 2000. And I'm going to ask something, Lorraine, that is a little bit deep and meaningful. So please feel comfortable however you would like to answer this question. And talking about legacy and your hopes for the tournament and your hopes for women's basketball in the future. So speaking before about how basketball can provide so much more than just being a sport. I've met some of my best friends through basketball. We've been friends for over 20 years, one of them being uh, the state coach for your granddaughter in the New South Wales under-18 Metro team. (laughs) So a a bit of a – the the full circle kind of just went in my head and I I wonder if you often think about all of the work you're doing. Like do you realise how much of a legacy you are providing – people like your granddaughter for the future like has that enormity of how important your work is like how much that's going to impact so many other people well look it's it's really lovely for you to say what you've just said I am a backroom person to me I love I love doing things I love making things happen and making a difference I am aware of the fact that I've been fortunate to be able to do some things that maybe others didn't and I had that passion to drive it but I've had a huge support base you know I sometimes some of my friends that I meet for haven't seen for a while will say you know everybody and and I said well you know I I always like to treat people how I want to be treated and and I think that I've just been fortunate to be able to sort of use my passion, use my love of the sport, but also work with really great people. So to see Renee and her husband, Tom, um, who I worked with in Sydney at the Kings, it's just amazing to see my granddaughter be, you know, representing New South Wales. And my daughter, Michelle Landon, Michelle Austin, is a great coach. And I'm hoping, you know, in the next couple of years when, you know, her kids are a little bit older, that uh, we will see her coaching at the highest level. But she's also a career teacher. So, you know, I I just want people to be happy where they are. And if I've been able to make a difference, encourage people. And I do love it when people say to me, can I talk to you about the future and what I should do? I do like being a mentor. I do like sort of giving back. And hopefully I'm able to do that for a long time still to come. Absolutely. I mean, I know that certainly in in my personal interactions with you over more years than I'd care to remember, (laughs) going all the way back to the days of of Mike and the Kings, um, you've been extremely helpful, but also very knowledgeable. And I know certainly in, in my case, you've been always willing to share that knowledge, which has been great. And I think it's also helped it's helped me to see that there's a whole side to basketball that's outside the sport that unfortunately it doesn't get enough of a profile, but it should because there's so many great people who are actually working behind the scenes who deserve to be able to get a better profile in what they yeah. do and how they how they contribute to the game. You know, because the reality is the game wouldn't be where it is today if it wasn't for people like yourself who have given so much to the sport. Yeah, thanks, Paul. And and look, you are right. And one of the things we don't do very well is actually sing our own accolades. And I say this as a group, you know, not me individually, but 
as a sport, we sort of sometimes are too almost cruel to each other. Mm-hmm. And I really would like a nicer relationship between, you know, state associations, Basketball Australia, the WNBL clubs. And you talked before, Jacinta, about the disconnect at times from the NBL and the WNBL teams to the juniors. And I worked very hard uh, in the early days of the Kings to make sure we were a community organization and I think we did a wonderful job in that space we weren't winning championships then but um, I think we were certainly known our players were known you know Mm. people now still know who Steve Carfino you know Tim Morrissey Dean Utov Damian Keogh currently like okay maybe people will remember you know Kevin White but who else out of the Kings you know even Tommy you know, Tommy played with the Kings for nearly eight years. Um, but if he wasn't still in basketball, people wouldn't maybe know that name. They might think he's the player because he's tall. I think you're right. You know what, for me, a big event like this, and it was like what happened to the Olympics, a big event makes people excited. We just need, we as the LOC and the sporting community and the basketball community need to sing its praises loud and, and strong. And if we do that, then I think the sport will actually be seen in in the way it should be, which is healthy, good. It doesn't need to be, you know, so political as sometimes it might be at junior level and at state level, that sort of thing. But it has so much to offer the community in various ways. So um, I hope that this event will mean that people can see that and uh, would be happy to actually help us promote, help us market and tell the world. And come and watch. Yeah, tickets are on sale. Yeah, definitely come <laughs> yeah. and watch. Uh, we've already got our tickets. We've got ours. <laughs> uh, look, that's uh, that was an anxiety-provoking experience for me, uh, but I've got some. Uh, well, I've even bought tickets for my family. So, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm in it as well. Awesome. Uh, and I, I can guarantee that when it's over, I will be quite upset and emotional that it's finished. I'll have probably be in a down, low mood the following <laughs> three four days uh i'll have to, I'll, i will be courteous to my family and friends and co-workers and say listen <laughs> this just ended just give me some time to uh to mourn that it's ended and then i'll be back to normal I, i'm just yeah i was already excited for it and now talking to you and how much thought and planning not just like the logistics side of things, but just like I said before, how meaningful all the planning has been, even to the detail of having local referees transport the international referees to facilitate some kind of like contact and relationships between the two. That stuff to me just makes the tournament all the more better. Yes, yes. No, thank you. Lorraine, as always, it's great to have you on. It's always great to talk to you. And <laughs> look, we're going to keep up to date with what's happening with the Women's World Cup, have more people from the LOC come on to the podcast as well so we can keep the audience involved in what's happening. Thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it, Lorraine. It's a pleasure and uh, be happy to uh, to come on again and get everybody excited about what's going to happen on the 22nd of September. Absolutely. Can't wait. Thanks, Lorraine, for your time. Thank you. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.